We're talking on Iris Sports with Mark Carmen, who is the host at WGN Radio in Chicago and also of fansided.com. Mark, thanks a lot for coming on and talking about the Chicago Bulls the day after the seventh and eighth episodes of the, the Last Dance. Guys, it's my pleasure. It's my favorite thing to discuss. So thanks for having me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And uh, so, I mean, I, I I was texting with you and I said that I was that I was there in Chicago for games uh, three, four, and five, and then I went to Utah for game six. But uh, in this last, in the one episode we saw on Sunday, and I think the entire country was watching it, uh, you brought back the whole retirement and about when Michael, after the third the third title, decided to give up uh, everything in terms of basketball and go into and to first retire and then go into to baseball. Uh, you were there for that time, and talk about the feeling in Chicago uh, during that period of time when he just walked away from the game in the middle of his prime. Well, it's funny because. I had forgotten about how terrified I was that he was going to retire after all the media coverage in Atlantic City, and he was incredibly bothered by it. He stopped talking to the media. Magic Johnson's putting stuff out there. You're going to drive him out of the game. And Jordan's doing interviews in the finals saying that, uh, you know, it could be sooner than later that he leaves. So I was worried about it. And then, you know, when his dad was murdered, it got to the point where it was a huge concern that this guy's not going to play. But that night in against the Blue Jays in the playoffs for the White Sox, and he throws out the first pitch, I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of sweet. Like, things are getting back to normal. He's in public. He's throwing out the first pitch. Maybe, you know, the mourning process is, you know, well underway. And then literally, I don't know, 20 minutes later, an hour later, whatever it was, the news starts breaking that Jordan's going to retire. Um, and they did a great job of just showing people on the street, watching TV, sitting outside WGN radio in our former studios. Uh, you know, it, it, the whole city stopped to watch this thing happen. And, um, you know, I remember having like a sense that like the world has, was just ending. It was all over and nothing mattered again. And then he said, well, you know, if I choose to retirement means that you can, you know, choose to come back and play if that's what I want to do. I, I just remember thinking, oh, yeah there's a chance that he might play again. Thank God life can continue. And of course he ended up doing that. And the last dance really covered two issues that people were talking about is one is they've showed the interviews, which I've seen before of David Stern saying, look, I did not banish Michael from the game. And, and they went through, they asked Michael the same questions and ask everybody else at Reinsdorf and said to, to stop with the rumors that he was suspended for 18 months for gambling and those things. And I thought it was nice. It was good for, I think the show to address those rumors, which had certainly you've been heard floating around for a long time. Yeah. I always thought that that was completely and utterly ridiculous. Like, okay, Hey Mike, we're going to suspend you, and it's going to be a 17 to 18 month suspension. But you could come back in the middle of March of 1995 against the Indiana Pacers. We're going to lift the suspension that week, and you can start. And by the way, you'll act like you're going back to baseball, but then you're going to quit, and there's going to be a strike, and then you can come back to basketball. Like, none of it. Come on, man. You really think that David Stern kicked Michael Jordan out of the NBA? No one ever found out about it. And and also, before even that, like you really think Jordan's that dumb that he would do something like Pete Rose would do? The, the, that, the guy loved gambling, period, end of story. He had the money to cover it, and you can make a, you know, a very credible debate that, or argument that you know, maybe he's got a gambling problem. But he's fortunate enough that he's a billionaire, and that's not going to sink him or his family. So I, I just never bought any of it. it. It was always ridiculous. 
And then it was, I loved how the last dance brought up about his father and the closest he had with him and, and how he was hurt from, from the death. Did you have a chance to interact with, with uh, Michael's father at all in terms of, uh, you know, being around the team and those things? So, I, you know, I, I was in college, uh, well, I was in high school when they, when I just graduated high school and they won it in 91. So this is before my time getting to cover the team. My first year uh, in the locker room with them was 97, and then I was there for uh, all of 98, at least the home games. So I never knew James, and I followed Michael closely. So his dad was always around. I mean, he was in Come Fly With Me, the first Jordan video that came out. I think 87 was there, maybe it was 88. But either way, uh, you know, his dad was all over it, and so was his mom. And on the 60 Minutes uh, first pieces that they did on him, his parents, you know, they were always front and center. And Michael was very, very strategic in crafting his image at that time where they're showing him, you know, ironing and doing his own cooking and just trying to be this guy that was never going to get a date. And it propelled him into being this all-American guy who was endorsing, you know, Gatorade and Chevy and McDonald's, right? But, um, you know, it was, it was James was his best friend. And, and everybody who was around the team that talked about James like, just absolutely loved the guy. So, and I thought one of it was great that they brought up the part where Jordan doesn't want to speak to the media, and his dad is jumping in from protective <laughs> father. So, you know that you know that was a pretty good window, and you know in in their relationship and how much you know, James loved his son and, and wanted to be there for him. Yeah, I mean, I got the sense that he was more a different type of father than we think of, like a Lavar Ball and those type of fathers that are more <laughs> dominating. You know, those things. Even though probably he would beat Lavar Ball if they played one on one. But. Um, <laughs> I liked in in the book it they real in the in the series uh, they talked about the the year when when Jordan was away and what happened with the Bulls that time and the Cole Scotty Pippen I saw you on Twitter we're we're talking about the one point eight seconds when he re- it was just com- um, it's amazing to me that Scotty Pippen who is known to be the most best you know the great passer the selfless player all those things wouldn't he's the probably the most famous player for refusing to enter a basketball game just an amazing turn of events in that Knicks Bulls series. Yeah, and you would think that Scotty would sit there in the documentary and reflect back and say, you know, I wish I had done it differently. But proud man, look, I've put a ton out there. I've sacrificed everything, or at least some being the second banana to Michael, and here's my chance for the biggest game of the year. Our whole season's on the line, and you're calling a play for Tony Kukoc. I have earned the right to shoot that shot. But the thing was is that Scotty was never clutch like that. That wasn't his game. I can remember one game winner he hit, and it was off a rebound, and it landed in his hands, and he's in the lane, and he, and he flips in like an eight-footer. But it was just a reactionary thing, right? Not something that he had to actually craft and do. So he, was just, it wasn't, he wasn't that guy. And Kukoc, as they did a great job pointing out, he had a ton of clutch shots that year. So Phil was right to call the play for him, and I get that Scotty was mad. And Scotty just had moments in his career – where he would let his ego and his insecurity and and his pettiness get the best of him. Uh, And Michael would do it in his own way by, like, lashing out at Jerry Krause, which we've seen a million times, and don't smoke this cigar, it's going to stunt your growth, all that type of stuff. (laughs) But, you know, Scotty let it impact the team in that moment, and um, uh, he just – it would have been such a bigger deal, too, if if Kugos doesn't hit the shot, but obviously it was still a huge deal. And I love Bill Cartwright for – what he, everything he did there on the bench, in the locker room, stand up guy. And that team, you know, they were the Jordanaires. He, Jordan said a million times, you know, my supporting cast, my supporting cast. And 
Horace Grant was pointed out that he was bothered by that. So these guys were so motivated to prove that they were a huge part in the team's success. And for him to get in the way with that and get all personal about who was getting to shoot that shot, it was ridiculous. And then if it wasn't for the phantom Hubert Davis foul, which they didn't even cover, and I was amazed they didn't cover that, they might have actually won that series and made it to the finals. So that would, there's a lot of things that, I mean, I guess they had to cut some things, even though it's you know, 20 hours long, but, but I thought that was where they could have brought back the fact that the, the, the phantom Hubert Davis foul in that game. See, see, that's a great point, and I wondered if Michael had anything to do with that, or maybe the producers were just trying to, I don't know, be nice to Mike, because... There's, you know, that team, if you were a huge Jordan fan, like I was, and I was a huge Bulls fan, but I also wanted Jordan's legacy intact. There was part of you that did not want them to win that year because it was going to tarnish his legacy. Well, see, they won it without him. Right. Still to this day, like people will use that year. Well, they won 57 games in 93. They won 55 in 94. How good was he? So, you know, I was hypersensitive that that was going to be a topic of conversation for the rest of the time. And it, it, it's people like my, my good friend Nick Wright will bring that up. <laughs> So I was wondering why they, they glossed over that. Um, you know, I was wondering it was intentionally left out, so there was no real drama around what, other than the fact that they just lost and he was gone. And then I, they covered the Orlando series. So he comes back, he goes, he's back. And they cover the, the Orlando series that he lost. That Orlando team was great. I mean, the fact that they even lost in the finals, I think, was pathetic. They didn't really try against Houston. But to have Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Horace Grant, uh, Nick Anderson. I mean, that, it was a great team. And that, they were like the perfect team, though, to... I mean, I remember watching that series. It was just, that was, it was, Jordan had trouble. I mean, that was a difficult, the whole Nick Anderson stealing the ball thing, 45 to 23. I mean, that was just, that was like a, it was almost like a soap opera watching it live for the, over like the week that the series was on. Well, you just knew that he wasn't himself yet. He'd have moments, he'd have bursts, but uh, he couldn't do it night in and night out. And the highlights of him shooting air balls, those were still jarring watching him yesterday. I, I, I had repressed those moments. (laughs) Uh, from my from my memory, but uh, you're right. Orlando had a ton of talent. They weren't quite ready to win the whole thing yet. And I mean, Akeem Olajuwon. When you talk about where he lands in the history of the game, what he did to Shaquille O'Neal in that finals, uh, you know, incredibly, incredibly impressive. But you know, who knows how many titles Orlando would have won if they had, you know, O'Neal would have stayed around and and Penny doesn't hurt his knee. I mean, that team was 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 stacked. No doubt, no doubt about it. And but I, you know. If, if Michael's himself, and they don't let Horace obviously leave, well, that's, there's a double effect there with him being in Orlando. Uh, the team, even if even if with Michael like he was, uh, if Horace is on that team, they probably, I think, would still get past the Magic if you subtract Horace off the Magic and put him on the Bulls. We're talking to Mark Carmen, the host of WGN Radio in Chicago, and also fansighted.com. Well, I guess the one thing I've, I've, I can't wait to, this is the debate of all debates, because I am, of course, a Jordan lover, and uh, you hear the Nick Wrights of the world that with LeBron. I mean, he has LeBron, 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 and, and I guess what you're seeing in the series is, like, it's clear that Michael Jordan did not pick his team. Like, I think if he went to Jerry Krause and said, I want a player, Krause would not pick that player. So the point was, he has no control on the team, and then you look at LeBron, who is trading away Andrew Wiggins, picking up Kevin Love, bringing Bosch, putting him with Wade, picking Ray Allen. I mean, just the general manager in, in whatever, in name, not in name only, of all these teams that he's working on. You can see how Jordan, it was just completely different approaches in terms of Jordan just driving his players, the Bushlers, the Steve Kerrs, the, the, anyone he had, he's just going to make you Scotty Burrell, whereas LeBron orchestrates his whole teams together to make put these teams together. 
So I have a very hard time giving Jerry Krause any credit whatsoever. Now, he, he drafted Pippen and Grant, even though he didn't want to draft Grant and the whole organization had to talk him out of it. He wanted Joe Wolf. But I will give Jerry credit for not listening to Michael. <laughs> Michael wanted him to trade for Buck Williams and probably give up Horace, and Buck was a good player, but that would have been a mistake. He wanted him to go get Walter Davis, which – probably was not going to be worth the price of whatever Walter Davis was costing. So there were many things that Jordan wanted that Krause and him had this rivalry going on where Jerry wasn't going to give in to him. And, and to Krause's credit, I mean, Michael has proven over time he's not a talent evaluator. See the Wizards, <laughs> see the Charlotte Bobcats. So, uh, you know, the, the, that was a good thing that there was somebody in there that was that was actually trying to do what they thought was best for the team and not just uh, cater to all of Michael's whims because he wasn't right uh, many of the times. Now, I'm, I'm sure there would have probably been some moves that he would have done that maybe Jerry uh, didn't that maybe would have perhaps propelled them, but you know, a lot of them were, were dead wrong, so Krause deserves credit for that. So when you were covering the team, though, I mean, the, 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 move, the uh, series, they really highlights the fact that he was hard on the players, was mean and nasty to them and all those. But you didn't hear a lot of the players complain. Like, they didn't complain to you, did they? Like, did they say, oh, Michael's so mean to us? And, I mean, you heard about the fights maybe with Kerr, but it wasn't – I don't remember people blasting, like, Michael Jordan is the meanest person in the world. When, when you were covering the team, did you, did you hear stuff like that? Or did they did – they, I, I guess how – what was the dynamic there? So, you know, I can go back to, you know, they used to practice at the Multiplex, which was a health club in Deerfield. It's, it's been in a million cuts in the documentary that you as, you know, if you lived out there and like I did, you and you belonged there, which is probably like 40 bucks a month. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, you know, you walk in and there's the Bulls practicing. And I can remember like, you know, Jordan taunting Stacey King and King running after him as Jordan's like running up the stairs to get away from him. Like it was, you know, they were, that was, they were younger and there was like real things like he would. And the Jordan rules had a lot of great stuff in there. Like King's sitting there eating a bag of Doritos after he's told to, you know, watch his diet and, and Jordan's harping at him. So, but those guys to your, to your point, like they were never going to sit there and open up to the media especially somebody like myself who's, you know, brand new to it, that, that Michael was, was some level of jerk. But, uh, you know, there was, there was, it wasn't any secret that, you know, Jordan was incredibly demanding and would make guys, uh, you know, would, would say what it was, was ever on his mind in a very harsh way. But that was, you know, part of, at least I think in most of the way he was looked at at the time, like this part of what made him great and, and, um, just part of the deal of playing with him. All those guys, like Steve Kerr's done a great job just talking about, look, I'd be nowhere in my life if I hadn't played with Michael. He was a 12th, 13th guy on a team, and he goes from that to hitting a shot to win a championship. Everybody knows who he is and makes a ton of money, goes out and wins championships with the Spurs, and then from there he's able to continue into the you know executive and coaching career he's had. So, uh, I, I think most guys realize how much they benefited from being around Jordan. Even Will Purdue, who you know punched him and all that. Purdue, I just had him on my podcast, and, and Purdue was like, yeah, I, I greatly appreciate that I played with that guy. He made me better. We're talking to Mark Harmon of WGN uh, Radio and also Fansided.com. One, one last question. I, I, I was at the Game 6 in Utah, and I just think people don't realize how 
amazing Michael was in that game in terms of scoring 45 points. But but Scotty Pippen, I just remember him like limping around. His back was so he couldn't even. He looked like a, a senior citizen at old age home. I mean, he, he couldn't run. Robin was crazy that game. And Jordan of uh, the 87 point, I mean, he scored 45 of the 87. I mean, he was just doing everything on the court. And I think it was one of the. It was. It's great that he had the great the final shot, but also the game itself. Just against in that environment and the Jazz with Malone and Stockton. Uh, I think that was the signature. You know, just a great signature moment of his career. So it is fun and uh, interesting, all of it, to look back on how close they were to not winning six titles. I mean, they're down four to the Suns in 93. Frank Johnson's got a wide-open 17-footer. He probably makes that, I don't know, seven out of ten times. Misses it off the rim. Jordan gets the rebound, goes down the court, lays it in. Then they, you know, then they get a stop, and all of a sudden, uh, Barkley gambles on Pippen. He's pitching to Horace, and then Horace out to Paxi at the three. They win by one. I mean, game seven would have been dicey. Same thing with a game seven in Utah in 98, right? And to your point, like, Jordan was dragging that team. And Pippen, I guess what's going to be highlighted in nine and ten is that Scotty, Scotty's back was completely out of whack, and they're going to show a lot of his toughness behind the scenes back and forth in the locker room he you know he had a dunk early in the game and he came down and his back locked up on him and he basically just gutted it out as a decoy so they were uh, they were on some level of last legs which is where i you know people say they had nothing left and i just want to underline that if kraus had drafted any better in the 90s and there was a ton of players they could have had they wouldn't have been in such a dire situation but um he just he was unbelievable that will to pull them through when really his only guy that he was getting help from in 98 was Kukoc. Rodman was basically dead. Pippen had the bad back. Longley and the, the rest of the team, I mean, he just wasn't getting much. So for him to be able to do that on the road, simply incredible. And, and I, But the, the, the will of, of Jordan was just insane. I, I actually, before I, you, you, you guys got to go, can you tell me the story of going to the barber shop and getting tickets? That's amazing. Well, the story is is that I was at I couldn't get tickets to the game. You we were outside. There were tanks in the street, and I'm walking all around the stadium. I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, get a ticket at all. There was nobody even had a ticket, and I was ready to give up. I mean, it was just hopeless. And I've been to a lot of sporting events, and so I said, "Let's try in this one barber shop." And it was right by the stadium. It was like a it was about a half a mile from the stadium. And a guy who was in the barber shop said, "I have two. And I'm like, "I don't know." I go, "Do I trust you?" This and that. And he literally walked us. So we came up with the price. It was the most I've ever paid for a ticket. But he, when he walked in, we went through the layers of security. He said, I'm walking to your seats. And it wasn't just walking to the door. He, I, we just walked right into the stadium, walked through all the security, walked right down the seats. He even got me popcorn. The popcorn lady was walking around. He gave us popcorn. I mean, he knew everybody there. It was like Michael Jordan. Like He was more popular than Michael Jordan. And that was just so cool to be sitting. I was right behind the basket, like 12 rows up. And, and what I remember about that game was how Malone was just dominating Rodman. And for all these people that criticize Carl Malone and don't think he's elite, I mean, I mean, he was just amazing, just a force of nature in that game. And, and again, everybody thought that was the game that the Bulls were going to win. And, and they, and just a, just a tremendous uh, performance by the a great, a great jazz team, which is very underrated. I remember having a really weird feeling when Jordan's three at the end missed. I was like, oh, at least we get to see him play another game. But then they might lose. Like I was, that, those were the, my thoughts at the time. That's incredible. I'd love to hear what you paid for that ticket. Um, <laughs> but that is, that's awesome. I mean, incredibly, I've, I've, I've never heard a story like that. Walked into the barber shop and there, and there was the random guy with two tickets to 
arguably, I don't know, biggest game in Bulls history. Jordan's last game at home in the 98 season, that's incredible. I think they had to be, I want to sing, I bet you they were player tickets, um, because it had to be where some of the Bulls get their haircut. It, it just seemed to be, I didn't sit around yeah. other people that had that, but uh, like for Kobe's last game, I sat, I was in, in the Lakers and I bought a ticket from, and I sat with the uh, Meta World Peace family, uh, Ron Artest's family, so I sat in that like in that section with them, and that was his tickets, that was a hard ticket to get, but that was, it had to be something like that. I was really lucky and fortunate. Now, I'm going to tell you on the radio so I went, when I went to Utah for game six it was unbelievable because it was the only time the Jazz play on a Sunday during the day so all the, if, they're, if you're a Latter-day Saint, you don't ever go to sporting events on Sunday and it was the, it's the last time they've ever played on a Sunday afternoon when the finals used to be earlier. It's like a six o'clock start which is like four o'clock their time. So the tickets were plentiful and none of the Bulls fans could even get there. So I had whatever ticket I wanted. I mean I paid honest for the best seat in the house I paid $500. That same ticket is like for the Warriors series with the Cavs it was like $100,000. And I sat next to Leonardo DiCaprio and people couldn't imagine, but I could have literally had any ticket I wanted uh, for the, uh, for the, the finals for the, at the jazz for that game six. That is painful for me that I didn't make that journey. Great job. Really proud of you. You've been listening to Mark Carmen, WGN radio and fansided.com. Thanks a lot, Mark, for coming on the show.